episode 73 i believe and uh i am not steve cuff i'm steve coleman i haven't been on here in a while um (laughs) and uh so please don't turn this off um it's gonna be great uh today we're going to be talking about stand-up comedy and i'm here with also old friend of the show who hasn't been on in a while till knows how are you doing till yeah good yeah i think it's been like Three years since I spoke to you guys. Whoops. <laughs> but it's great to be back <laughs> chatting to you about um, stand-up and comedy and um, you know how things have changed. I think last time we were talking about um, Wet Hot American Summer and the effect that that had had on the kind of old comedy landscape. And now we're going to be talking about Nanette, which will also probably have a pretty big effect on the old comedy landscape. So. Yeah, it, it, there's been quite a lot that's changed in the last three years. And yeah. um, sorry for any regular listeners of the podcast. We're not going to be talking about any um, movies today. Um, but stick around. It's still going to be great. Um, first of all, Tilt, how are you? How are you yeah, doing? Good. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. <laughs> still, still in Australia. Um, still Melbourne-based. Um, still... Oh ticking along doing all of my kind of comedy reviews and, um, you know, general writing and engagements and stuff. I went and did a, uh, an honours thesis, which is a thing that you don't actually have in America. Apparently it's just part of your undergraduate degree. So I wrote 15,000 words about world building in science fiction just to prove that I am, yes, a certifiable nerd. And yeah, I was just, just working full time and, um, spending most of my days thinking about pop culture. How about you? What's been happening? Um, kind of the same, except especially just that part where I'm sitting around thinking about pop culture. Um, I did take a year off um, from Optimism Vaccine, uh, decided I wanted to maybe get a PhD at Indiana University, and um, just got tired of um, being tortured by pseudo-intellectuals in the uh, northernmost part of the American South. So here I am, back in Milwaukee. Um Serving beer and doing more pop culture stuff, I hope. And uh, listening to my echo right now, which is a little distracting. I'm just going to pull these cans back a little bit. Um, and actually, I had a question for you, Till. Um, were you able to catch the WWE Super Show last weekend in Melbourne <laughs> at the Cricket Grounds? Uh, <laughs> I, w- I was not. Uh, actually, uh, tickets are very expensive. Um, oh, yeah. but. Funnily enough, I've been getting a bit into wrestling, which is something that previously held little to no interest for me, but a very good friend of mine has... Sorry, you're explaining it as I'm interrupting you. I'm so sorry. That's fine. Um, A very good friend of mine has recently started her professional wrestling career. So we've been going out to matches and supporting her. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, And it's there's such a crossover between wrestling and comedy, and I feel like a bit of an idiot for not realizing that uh, sooner. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been really fascinating to kind of watch a lot of, a lot of local games, obviously. Games, matches. Um, clearly, I'm not up with the lingo. 
<laughs> a game's worse. It is kind of a game. It's fine. It's a play, yeah. almost. Yeah, exactly. Although, I must admit, she, my friend really oversold me on how much story actually occurs in a match. Um, so I was sitting there expecting all this narrative to happen, and then um, <laughs> you only really get like 30 seconds to a minute of the story, and you have to kind of be engaged with the wrestlers on social media and stuff to really follow what's going on. Um, which is pretty cool, I think, that it's evolved that way, that, you know, you can have this kind of social media engagement as a means of getting an audience interested in, you know, something that's obviously not as professional as WWE um, and doesn't have the kind of uh, television power behind it, you know? Yeah. And uh, and may I ask uh, what your friend's ring name is? Yeah, so her ring name is Taylor Rose. Taylor Rose, and would she be okay with like us plugging her on this podcast? Oh yeah, totally. She'd love that. All right, go see Taylor Knows wrestle um, in just in Melbourne or out anywhere else in the yeah, vast so country you... of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's just in Melbourne, um, but then there is another wrestler um, who's I can only remember her real name, which is not very useful. Um, but she's an indigenous woman who wrestles using like, and she's a heel and she wrestles using like, uh, an indigenous take on voodoo magic, which is really cool. Um, and she travels all up and down the country and, and does matches kind of mostly on the Eastern seaboard. So if you want to check her out when I remember her name, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that will be, yeah. Um, hang on. Maybe we can edit that in later. I don't know. But yeah, um, I, I feel I like the spontaneous probably, nature. <laughs> probably worthwhile, yeah, the spontaneous nature of that. Um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty useful information. Anyway. <laughs> well, um, I did, that's exciting, a new hobby, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is great, talking about wrestling, but I suppose that's probably not why we're both here together um, to talk today. Not actually in the same room, obviously. That'd be very expensive for both of us. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're making those, you know, sweet outback bucks, but, uh, you know, just trying to pool them together. I'm going to stop talking right now. Anyway, um, we both have a very big interest in the culture, I guess you could say, of stand-up comedy. And we've been wanting to get together for a while to discuss uh, Nanette, the uh, Netflix special that's had the comedy world abuzz. Uh, um, and I... Well, would you like to start? Um, what were some of your thoughts on uh, the special? Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess it's kind of interesting for me because I... I'm Australian, obviously, and, and so is Hannah Gatsby. Um, so I've kind of been aware of her for pretty much as long as I've been aware of the kind of Melbourne comedy scene um, because Gatsby started performing as part of our kind of national newbies competition um, called Raw Comedy in 2006. Um, so, you know, and I, and I started kind of getting into comedy as, in my early teens, um, so probably like 2008. Um, so just as kind of Gatsby was was doing some of the sets that she talks about in in the, the net, and it's been 
interesting to kind of know a bit of the history of her stand-up and what her material is like and come into this special where she really kind of reflects on what that comedy has done to, to her and to her mental health and, and how she's um, essentially kind of fed up with that, with that performative style. Um, yeah, so I, so I had a pretty, a pretty good reaction to it. And I, and I, I do wonder though, like, um, and, and the other thing that happened was a lot of my friends saw this show when it was first on in Melbourne and, and when it won the big comedy award at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. So I knew about it and there was already a big conversation around it happening here. And then to have that taken to an international level, I do wonder what an international audience kind of makes of her um, and her kind of Australianisms. Australianisms. Um, what specifically would you gather from her set was very Australian? Um. Well, there's a, there's a lot of accent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think she international where like I, th- I did think she kind of globalized some of it. Um, my understanding is there were some more kind of specific references, and she probably um, ripped on her hometown um, in a way that was a, a little bit more in line with people who would have an understanding of um, you know, various areas in Tasmania and that sort of thing. Um, but I also think that it's a lot of the show talks about this kind of self-deprecating culture. And that's a really common thing in Australian humour, um, is this uh, self-deprecation, putting oneself down. We, most Aussie comics don't come out uh, in a particularly bombastic way and, and kind of go, all right, I'm here, I'm the greatest, let's do this. Um, they usually come out and they're like, oh, thank you for having me. You know, I've been working on this set for two years, but I'm still not sure it's very good. Here we go. Um, and there's sort of a, like I, a lot of open mics here in the States. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's still kind of present in some of our actual professional comedians. Um, but then the other part of the show um, that kind of stood out as particularly Australian for me when I was re-watching it was this um, kind of get-your-hand-off-it attitude. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know that term, but um, get-your-hand-off-it basically means, like, don't be a wanker. Um, okay. Like, don't. Yeah, and and so and and that's an attitude that she's like, you know, presenting to her audience and to straight white men in particular, basically like, you know, you need to stop, like, don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was definitely something that I, I mean, there's a lot of messages that I took from it, but that was a very big one, and it's um, a topic that I've personally been very interested in, um, just going back to studying it and writing about it uh, through activism vaccine and just through my own studies as a master's student um, and the one year I spent as a PhD student. Um, It's um, just this, the boys club mentality has always been an issue in stand-up comedy. And and I think that translates internationally no matter where you are. Um, And... um, you know, it's one of those things where <laughs> just when you think it's getting better, like I thought it was four years ago, um, clearly it's not. Yeah, yeah, I I agree, and I think I think it's interesting to kind of contrast some of that with some of the other subject matter that um, Gatsby talks about when when she's looking at you know particularly about 
um, mental health and how her comedy kind of overrode meaningful discussions of her experiences um, and, and, you know, and even meaningful discussions of her of depression and the, and the outcomes of those experiences. And I thought back to, you know, people like Mark Maron and Louis C.K., who, who you wrote your thesis on, mm-hmm. um, who are, and obviously, like, Louis C.K. is not um, any kind of, or shouldn't be any kind of reference for, you know, quality stand-up now. Um, but he was somebody who did speak in um, quite great detail and quite humorously about his experiences with with mental health issues. And so it, there's kind of this um, evolution, I guess. And, and even Gatsby says, like, you know, one of my favourite comedians is Cosby, but I'm not going to find him funny anymore. Right. Um, which, I mean, if you go to any sort of used media store here in the States at least, um, there's a copious amount of uh, Bill Cosby himself DVD copies for sale for less than a dollar. Um, I'm actually one of the people who just, I just gave it away. I don't even think I got any cash for it, which is fine. I didn't want any, but, um, yeah, it's, um, it speaks to, I think, this like larger argument of how do you separate the sort of that cliche of separating the art from the artist, which uh, Hannah Gadsby does, I think, a very good job of addressing in her set, um, mm. specifically talking about like her history with um, her art degree. Um, but I don't want to deviate too much from the uh, mental health issues that she does address in her set. Um, especially because there has been a little bit of discourse that surrounds Nanette, um, especially on like, like this international or like abroad from Australia where people are questioning whether or not it was actually stand-up comedy. And I don't know if it's so much people denying that it is stand-up comedy or if it's just like, do we need to have a new definition for what this type of entertainment is. Um, does, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Here, yes, here I yes, am being yes, very yes. <laughs> questioning of everything I'm saying. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it does. And I think it, um, I think it's a really interesting and kind of useful discussion. I mean, I think it falls pretty clearly into comedy still. And I, because I think the jokes and the structure and the conversation that it's creating are still comedy um and and I think it's still funny as well. I think that there's a lot of um a lot of genuine laughs to be found in the special, and I know that some people just didn't didn't find that much of it funny um and that there are you know several points where it's like oh that 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 joke's actually um quite a traditional structure and and maybe you know people don't think it's that clever or or whatever, but I think that given the contrast that she's making, those jokes become funnier because of how she's breaking the tension and how she's then dissecting and discussing the way she constructed those punchlines. And Absolutely. and punchlines in general, yeah. What do you think? Do you think it's still comedy? I definitely do. And I can to some degree understand discomfort that maybe some people have, that they're not used to being confronted um with their comedy um and i and i don't 
want to say that I feel like she's being confrontational, but I think that some viewers who maybe just aren't used to such a confessional style aren't quite ready for somebody to just like legitimately tell you how it is and to call other comedians out too. Um, it reminded me a lot of, um, there's an, another Netflix special from last year. Uh, I believe it came out early 2017, uh, by the uh, American comedian Neil Brennan. And he has three mics set up. Have you seen it, by the way? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not just like no, explaining sure. it. Uh, um, so he has three mics set up on stage where one mic he had, he tells one-liners, and the second mic he just sort of does, if I'm remembering correctly, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but he does observational comedy, and then the third mic is him talking about his mental health issues, specifically his bouts with depression and how he fought it, and it's very moving, actually, and it's very um, um, confrontational in a way in that, again, that I think when people say comedy or think comedy, that it's, um, sorry, I'm getting a lot of weird feedback in my headphones. Uh, okay, that's better. <laughs> it's always great to interrupt yourself with feedback. Um, so I feel that, like, you know, people feel sometimes entitled um, to go to a comedy show and they want to feel like, I have to just forget everything. I have to just be able to laugh. Like, that's all it's meant to do. And if anybody is telling me anything beyond something that I can't handle without a chuckle, then it's not comedy. And I was surprised that when his special came out, it was very well received. And from what I, I gather, that argument of it being anti-comedy or not comedy wasn't present. Whereas with um, Hannah Gadsby's special, Nanette, a little bit bit that I, from the discourse that I gathered, was that people were sort of angry about it. Like, all of a sudden, her doing something somewhat similar, although she's very straightforward, it ruffled feathers of people, to use a cliche that really sucks. Um, and all of a sudden, now, it's becoming this topic of, like, is it really comedy? And I find it sort of just goes back around to like, well, there is a straight cisgendered white male who did something very similar and wasn't like questioned about it. And now we're questioning about it because it's coming from the voice of a queer Australian woman, or I'm sorry, not, she's from, not from originally from Australia, right? She's from. No, no, she's, she's from Australia. Um, she's from Tasmania, which is Tasmania. Oh God. Sorry. It's a state within Australia. Yeah. Right. Uh, for some reason, I thought she wasn't even from Australia at all. I don't know why that entered my head, and I'm just going to say it's been a weird week in the States, <laughs> and I'm also having a beer right now just because everything is just a miserable cesspool right now. Totally uh, fine. <laughs> there are plenty of Tasmanians who would prefer not to be part of Australia, and plenty of Australians who would prefer that Tasmanian not be part of Australia either. For the record. Just... I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. For the record, I... I like it. It's a nice state. <laughs> okay. All right. Um. But yeah, I think I think that that's definitely uh, a part of the problem, it, or, or rather a part of a part of what's affecting the discourse is that it is this 
Gatsby is speaking from the position of a minority and she's, and she's angry and she's built up this experience and she's confronting the, you know, the population who did that to her and saying, Hey, this is what, this is what my life has been and it's not okay. And that's, that's the kind of the other thing is that, um, the difference between the film special and, and the live shows that were in Australia when, when the show was first developed is that the show was actually a lot angrier. Um, and again, I think part of that is just that the kind of local specificity allowed her to be much more targeted with what she was saying. Uh, and, and it was kind of the whole idea of, of quitting comedy and being done with it, um, was, was probably a lot rawer, but whereas by the time it got filmed in Sydney and, and she was performing it across, across the globe, it had become, um, a, a kind of a much calmer statement. But, but even as she films it, like you can see, she gets, angry and and she you know you know her face changes color and, and she you know her eyes water and it's still a really a kind of emotional thing and i think um and and that emotion is is mostly anger and i think that that's what people find confronting in in their comedy but i think as well um that kind of confessional comedy or that kind of cathartic comedy is a lot more common in australia as well like um and so I think that some of the critiques that she's making of her own work aren't necessarily true of, of the broader um, comedy community. I mean, I've certainly seen a lot of really powerful um, one-hour festival shows over the past, you know, five years where people do reveal really similar traumas. <coughs> Sorry. And and kind of build it in, you know, it's that classic 45-minute uh, kind of denouement or catharsis where you, you reveal the worst thing that's ever happened to you and then you spend the last 15 minutes kind of rebuilding that safe space and you and you kind of move through the trauma rather than having the trauma be the punchline itself or or mm. you know be the tension Does that makes sense absolutely uh, um and it's certainly something i really admired um from her show and um i guess if it's okay that i share something um i used to perform stand-up comedy fairly regularly uh several years ago and gave it up <laughs> because i started my master's program and just sort of never went back to it and this past year um when i was starting my phd studies in indiana i um had a um nervous breakdown <laughs> Um, I'd been in therapy for a few months and was taking some antidepressants that probably weren't the best for me. And a few things that happened in my life, um, family illness, the breakup of a relationship, uh, a few other things I just don't need to get into the details of right now, but I had actually, um, had a nervous breakdown where I tried tried to overdose and essentially not essentially I tried to kill myself um, very quickly was able to survive that um, and sorry this is like a real bummer but um, getting around to what happened after that it really put me in sort of this creative space and actually catching Nanette for the first time, inspired me to go back to performing stand-up comedy. 
and I've been doing this bit where that's sort of what I, not sort of what I, it is what I start, I set out with, um, just sort of doing a bit of a survey of the room, you know, asking if anybody suffers from mental illness, and then talking about that suicide attempt, um, which <laughs> initially sort of will bring the room down a little bit, but once you get going and it starts, you, you're able to sort of separate yourself from this from the situation, but make commentary on it. It wound up seeing some of like the best reactions I've ever had. I'm by no means a professional, but um, it's been very enriching. And I think seeing something like Nanette, or to a lesser degree, even like, like the Neil Brennan set that I was talking about earlier, um, really inspired me to do that. And even going beyond that, um, with uh, Tignataro's live set from several years ago, where she came out on stage and immediately talked about how she'd just been diagnosed with cancer and her mother had just died and all these terrible things are happening to her. Her relationship has fallen apart. I mean, I remember specifically her set being met with a lot of praise. Mm, but yeah, I something that. slightly problematic is that it was because it was being championed by Louis C.K. Yeah. Yeah, and it got this extra kind of, um, it was kind of bolstered by that. But at the same time, it doesn't, doesn't detract from how good that special is. And, and I actually oh, had no, it. Not at all. Like, don't just as a kind of an interesting point of comparison because it what it is kind of about um, these specific life events and and how and how frustrating things are. But I think I think one of the key differences between Natara um, Special and Gatsby's is that is the anger. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, there's there's kind of this um, like it's it's still it's it, like takes that from memory is still, still quite um observational i guess like it's you know like you know it, it, deeply personal and confessional but it doesn't have that same like fuck this kind of attitude and and and, and a kind of no more stance right um and i think i think that's part of um another part of why that special was probably a little bit more acceptable than nanette has really been yeah, and, and I when I said problematic <laughs> earlier, I should clarify just the fact I thought that it was interesting to me that uh, at least Tignataro special, which it is incredible, it's amazing, um, but that it sort of seemed to receive more attention maybe just because this one powerful comedian had the ability to just distribute it. Um, and I'm deviating a little bit from the point, but... Um, yeah, I think that that style, both Tignataro's and, and uh, Hannah Gasby's, like, I think there needs to be, or I would hope that there would be room for places for you to tell your stories, and you're either accepting and not happy about it, but calm about it, but there should be room for you to be angry. Yeah. And there's plenty of aggression in a lot of comedy, especially from how think of somebody like Sam Kinison. I mean, obviously he's was angry for comedic effect, but nobody was ever I guess calling him out 
for just yeah. being this total maniac. Um, and it's, I wouldn't say it's exactly a double standard just because he wasn't like, you know, this like, <laughs> no offense to Sam Kinison fans out there. He wasn't like this great mind who was saying these like very thought provoking things through his comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't, well, maybe I'm going a little too far on the Sam Kinison thing. Does anybody <laughs> under the age of 40 even know who Sam Kinison is at this point? Yeah, uh, I'm quite honest. I've not seen any of his material, so I cannot comment. <laughs> um, it's yeah, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> not missing anything. No, no, unless it's like a lot of shouting. <laughs> yeah, I can probably do probably do without that in my in my knowledge. <laughs> Maybe I'll just read the Wikipedia later. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, and I, I just, I think it's really interesting, like, because, because the commonality between Nataro and Gatsby is that, is that they're talking about, you know, these traumatic events and these, and these difficult times in their life. And, um, and Gatsby's trying to turn things from punchlines into narratives. Um, and I, I just wonder what you think, especially as someone who performs, or who, who, yeah, perform stand-up comedy. Um, what do you think about the idea that punchlines need trauma because punchlines need tension and tension feeds trauma? I definitely feed into that. And that's something I was definitely thinking about, um, watching Nanette. Um, and it's something that I never really would have considered without having seen that special. Um, it's just, Something that there's that old phrase, comedy is tragedy plus time. Um, but I certainly think there is something to be said about creating tension and then creating a release, and that's sort of where the laughs come from. Mm. Um, you know, my own personal experience running into a room and saying, like, "Hey, everybody, I tried to kill myself." Like that's definitely going to create some tension, but the more you're able to talk about it, then the relief comes and that's where the laughter comes from. So I definitely buy into uh, Hannah Gadsby's theory. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think it always has to be that way. I think it's a little bit, it can be broader than that. But yeah. I think some of the best comedy definitely does come from tragedy it comes from pain and it's being able to if not be able to relate to a comedian it's at least hearing things it's like oh well as an audience member well at least my life isn't as terrible as this poor person is on stage seems to be yeah exactly (laughs) so in in a sense we're all bullies yeah But I think as well, like, th- there's also a lot of, um, a lot of relief in exactly the opposite in, in seeing somebody whose experience you relate to deeply as well. I mean, um, I, I, and I didn't, I didn't see myself in that much of, of Gatsby, but, but certainly in, um, you know, other material I've seen where, yeah, like talking about suicide attempts and experiences with mental illness is definitely something that, um, I've, ex- well, 
I've experienced those things. And so to see people talking about that and using comedy, um, using comedy basically to express the fact that they've made it through, um, and, right. or, or, are, or are processing these emotions and, and that that's the starting point for a conversation. I think it, um, allows for a level of, like laughter allows for a level of vulnerability, um, that, that makes those conversations possible in situations where they might not otherwise be, you know, in, I'm, if, if you're performing at an open mic, it's, it's often in a, in a rowdy bar, you know, which, you know, depending on what bar it is, might be a kind of a masculine space. If it's like one of the, um, uh, most common open mic venues here in Melbourne is, um, in a sports bar. <laughs> like it's <Yeah>. not, <laughs> it's not a traditionally, uh, vulnerable space. And yet, um, by, by getting up and talking about these experiences, people, comedians have the power to make it safe, basically to have those discussions. Yeah. And I think, so I, yeah, I think I agree with the idea that, um, punchlines and trauma are connected, but what I don't necessarily agree with is this idea that, that telling a joke about an experience like that, um, or, or traumatic experience or, or speaking openly about your mental health, um, freezes it at that point in time. I mean, I think that, you can still tell the story and tell the joke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Um, I, and I, I definitely agree with that as well. Um, I think uh, the um, you brought up a great point, too, though, um, just with the venue of where a performance is happening. Um, you mentioning, like, the sports bar, Sort of meant, and that's very much the same here. In fact, there's a place here in um, Milwaukee called Rounding Third, and if anybody from there's listening, I'll probably never get set time there again. But that's fine. Um, I mean, Rounding Third—that's like a sports term, and it's just this. And they have like a very nice performance space, but it's definitely there's an expectation there that you're just going to kind of get a lot of, pardon my phrasing. But you're just going to get a lot of dick jokes and just a lot of things that you want to just sort of har, 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 laugh at while you, like, drink beer and throw peanut shells on the floor. So it's difficult to sort of stylize the comedy you want to if you're an up-and-coming comedian, or not even up-and-coming, just like somebody who wants to try comedy, to find that safe space to perform. And frankly, I mean... I'm well aware of the fact that it's just my own presence. It's a little bit easier for somebody like me to do that. But I can't um, personally fathom how difficult that can be for anybody else. And I'm curious, just, you know, I mean, she does a good job of describing how toxic the comedy community is. But just, like, imagining somebody like Hannah Gadsby starting out and just trying to get gigs and starting out at open mics mm. and it actually like I, <laughs> makes my chest tighten up a little bit like, like it's hard for me to even imagine like what she would have had to go through just to tell one joke yeah um, and just you know the space that she's performing in now obviously is very supportive and it's very great but um, I think the icky culture of stand-up comedy 
is fostered just from starting out and having to perform at these terrible venues <laughs> with terrible people. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think that's, I mean, it's, it's a, a bit unfair to ask, um, whether it, it, a text like this can change the world. And, and I certainly don't think that that's really the aim of Nanette, you know, Gatsby's talking about her experience and, and how it's shaped her life and what she's doing with her art. She's not saying, you know, that this particular show is, is going to, you know, fix toxic masculinity. She, she, there are plenty of calls to action in it, that, you know, especially for, um, you know, straight white cis men. But I think one of the ways in which this show can have an impact is by affecting um, not only people who identify with Gatsby, you know, like young queers who are looking at getting into stand-up comedy, but also the spaces that support stand-up. And they can look at something like that and go, okay, well, how do I help build a space where young comics don't feel they have to fall back on, you know, self-deprecation and self-humiliation in order to get a laugh? And I think I think there are some of those in Melbourne. I think it's... Um, especially now we have uh, quite a few um, women who run rooms um, and there's, and there's lots of kind of supportive um, spaces for young women um, and, and lots of um, kind of young mid tier male comics who know that they have to step up and, and protect the women in their communities, which is great. And I think a, a big, um, a big conversation has been had really recently um, because a young, um, a young stand-up was murdered, raped and murdered on on her way home from a gig, um, and the comedy community um, really kind of pulled together and, and had a lot of really frank discussions about, um, you know, the you know the need to walk home from gigs and how that's always going to be something that women need to do and understanding how to make those, you know, journeys home safer, but also talking about the kind of broader context and the broader culture that has to change in order for that to happen truly rather than just taking preventative measures. So there's hope? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's what the point of that rambly story was. Yeah. No, I, no I, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely there's definitely some hope um, there, and I mean it, it is it is hard because I am you know obviously comedy nerd, but I'm but I'm not you know a, a performer, so I'm not I'm not sure what those spaces are like. Um, and Have you ever a, thought about performing? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I get asked that a lot, um, but no, I'm I'm. Funnily enough, the answer that I usually give is that I prefer to tell stories, not jokes. Um, but what I mean, what I mean by that isn't, you know, I, that I prefer, that I don't think that jokes can be stories. What I mean by that is the goal of the stories that I'm interested in telling isn't laughter. If mm -hmm. laughter is a byproduct, that's great. Um, and, and I'm all for, you know, trying to write funny stories or, or tell funny stories, but generally I'm more interested in, in the kind of the narrative function itself, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> um, well, this is um, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go. Sorry. Oh, I, um, this is, uh, you know, welcome to the OpFact cast again, everybody, if you're just tuning in right now, because clearly we're on the radio. <laughs> um, this is, uh, I mean, this is a conversation personally that I've been wanting to have and at least put out into the world. Um, I feel that, um, there's really not much more for me to contribute or say. <laughs> I mean, I think the world has enough of listening to, uh, well, you know, people like me. <laughs> but um, I did want to ask, I, we sort of touched on it a little bit, but are we both sort of agreeing that stand-up comedy doesn't necessarily always have to be the goal doesn't necessarily have to always be funny. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I guess, I guess the goal doesn't have to be. Yeah, um, well. Yeah, but, so then I right. guess, then I guess the question of like, well, how much does your intent actually matter as well? If, you know, if, if you, sit down to write a a show that is presented in a traditional stand-up format and, and you're like, oh, I just really want to write about money or something. And then you um, and you sit down and write that show and, and by the end of it you've, you've written this great show about money and you've made, you've made exactly the point that you wanted to make about, you know, the workforce and capitalism and whatever, and the show is also hilarious, then it's still a comedy show regardless of whether or not you intended it, whether that was kind of the driving intent of writing the show, you know? Yeah. I, I um, That's really good. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I guess the other question is, like, like that's the, what, el- what else can you do with that, with that form? If, if Gatsby's not performing stand-up, what is she doing? Yeah, that's actually that was going to be my question too. I, what do you think about her essentially stepping away from stand-up comedy? Um, oh well, I think I think it's quite reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know whether or not she'll she'll do it. <laughs> um, and I think I think the thing that people misunderstand when she says I have to quit comedy um, is that she's talking about quitting a very particular kind of stand-up. She's not talking about ceasing to be an entertainer or um, to engage in, you know, public commentary, which is, you know, also a lot of what stand-up comedy can be. So I think, you know, she's got plans to write an art history book and um, make a documentary, like those kind of things. And she's, and in Australia, she's done those things before. Um, She has, she had a great little series on uh, the ABC, our national broadcaster called uh, Nakedy Nudes about, um, yeah, images of female bodies in in art across history. Uh, so she's definitely kind of been building those skills as well. So I don't think she's going anywhere as a as a public presence. It's not like she's got she's going, okay, right, I'm retiring from comedy and I'm gonna go and become a doctor or, you know, start o- open a cafe or something like that. And I, and I think that's sort of um at least from what I've gathered, like a lot of people who just become introduced here which you I mean, 
a very large portion, at least of the U.S., has just yeah, become like... introduced to Hannah Gadsby. And I think I feel a certain sense. I, I will even admit to it. Like, there was a certain sense of panic. Where it's like, oh, shit, like, you're amazing. And now, like, you're done? Like, we need you. But, I mean, that's very unfair to just, like, put all that pressure on just one person. But also, like, you were just saying, like, well, it doesn't mean she's going away. It doesn't mean she's just done. You know? um, so, I, I mean, you put it very well. I don't mean to keep repeating. <laughs> um, but it's... Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that at least it's inspired a lot of people, you know, whether it's just in Australia or hopefully internationally everywhere, to not only in comedy but just like you know what was the phrase you used again um the hand oh i'm blanking i can't well, rewind right now the recording get, get get your hand off it that phrase? get your hand off it yeah, yeah so hopefully a lot of people are going to get the goddamn hands off of it and uh <laughs> like i feel like i would hope that this would be a really big step in the right direction um, because at least in the last three years since both you and I, well, I mean, I've been on, since we were both on the same podcast three years ago, yeah. it's just, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily gotten any worse, but we're just, the truth has been revealed and the curtain is finally being pulled away, still being pulled away very slowly, even right now. But, um, yeah, at least some comedians are being held accountable even if they can still do a surprise set at the Comedy Cellar <laughs> without warning anybody. Uh, um, obviously, I'm talking about Louis C.K. right now again, but uh, <laughs> we don't need to keep talking. There's enough out there. He's fine. He's feeding his, quid, his kids quail eggs every morning. They're fine, too. Uh, um, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, um, and just... There's still that mentality like, well, go away for now, and I'll be fine. I'll come back, and I won't even address the shitty things that I did. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's what's kind of been the most confronting about the last few months in particular is just we've gone from having this really big, really positive movement to the slow, painful, and protracted realization that a lot of it um, doesn't matter to some people and that, and that people's traumatic experiences, especially around sexual assault, are um, less important than, you know, men's careers or, you know, a, a public, you know, men, or even in some cases, like, men's reputations are more important than women, than, you know, women's experiences of trauma and, and the amount of effort that it takes to, to speak about that trauma is, is huge. And to, so to, so to have that happen and then to have it, you know, essentially dismissed in favor of someone being able to, yeah, do a five minute set at the comedy cellar or whatever is, um, heartbreaking in so many ways and, and so, you know, and so angry making. Like it's so much of, of that anger and, and that exhaustion, um, that, you know, uh, like public advocates like Gatsby and, like so many others express, um, is so justified. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I'm hoping. I unfortunately didn't really get my, give myself much of an opportunity to do a lot of research before I showed up here today. Sorry. Hopefully, it's not too <laughs> obvious to anybody listening right now. Um, but I'm at least hoping that if we're reaching out to enough people with this podcast right now, that maybe there can be this movement to explore other comedians who are doing things that are really good and are, you know, maybe just not white cis dudes. Yeah. <laughs> like, if if you know that I'm going to be at an open mic, don't come see me. Like, <laughs> just go <laughs> do something better and more worth your time. Um, but, I mean, I'm making it sound like I... Uh, anyway. I'm just... <laughs> Um, well, I think Steve's name on a lineup. You should definitely go and see him because obviously I cannot unless you like webcam me, like Skype me in sometime. But like, I don't think don't down, don't downplay don't downplay your your own your own career. And I and I and I think that that's that's one of the things. Like, I don't think that we should dismiss all you know white cis male standoffs out of hand either. I think there are still some some really great ones, and we just have to. You know, support people, uh, no matter regardless of you know gender identity. Basically, it's just like if you just keep seeing funny people and understand that there is this system that will privilege particular people over others, and make an effort to see people who might not be as privileged, or, or even it could be as simple as just like you know finding a female comic in your local area that you like and seeing her when she's on a lineup and. Often women will do shows with other women on the lineup, so then you'll be exposed to more and more. Um, Felicity Ward is a, an Australian comic who's based in the UK. Interestingly, interestingly enough, she talks a lot about her experiences with anxiety and does a lot of mental health advocacy. Ad- I can't even say it anymore. Advocacy. It's a terrible word. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I, I just can't that. <laughs> Uh, she speaks a lot about mental health issues, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but she compiled a great list on Twitter, obviously an incomplete list, um, of, of people that she now just sends to men who say, I, you know, uh, you are really funny and I just don't know any other funny women. And, you know, it's, it's kind of got a lot of really well-known, um, British and Australian comics on it and, and Americans as well. And, but yeah, even just starting by looking on Netflix. A good place <laughs> because because I understand like not everyone is like us and, and lives in cities where there's there's a good local comedy scene as well. And I, I would say at least Melbourne's probably like one of the top cities in the world for comedy. Is yeah, that a fair assessment? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I think so, but I live here, so <laughs> I don't know whether that's just. My, uh, my perception of, you know, oh yeah, my, you know, everything's great. I, it's the best. Um, but yeah, I think because we have the comedy festival and, um, and we do have, you know, rooms that run year round and, and plenty of hour long shows and all sorts of great stuff. But yeah, yeah, so I think that, but sorry, that was a really rambly answer. No, no, that was perfect, I think. Um, and I think that was even, um, if, if it's okay, probably a good way to wrap up uh, today's discussion. Um, yeah, sure. And um, I guess 
I've been a terrible person. I haven't listened to this podcast in a while, so I don't even know how they ended it anymore. Um, but is there anything else that you would like to, as we used to say, put over or plug? Um, I think you did a very wonderful job just now, but is there anything else you wanted to mention on the podcast today? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I really have that much of my own stuff to plug at the moment. Um, so I would just, yeah, leave the call to action as just, just check out any, yeah, local comedy rooms, check out people on Netflix, check out Felicity Ward's list on Twitter. Yeah. Go see, go see and support live comedy. Great. Yeah. I'll, um, and I second that. And, um, I guess it's the very personal plug. If you live in the Milwaukee area, come to Ray's Grain Brewing Company and please buy beer from me and please tip generously. Um, <laughs> but that's not that important right now. Um, anyway, um, also, um, if you are listening to this, you, you can, Go online to optimismvaccine.com, see all the other things that we're doing on there, including uh, some good articles, some good podcasts, um, not just this flagship podcast. And <laughs> oh, I'm such a good host. I'm <laughs> killing it right now. Um, can, I, um, can I give a special shout-out? Uh, I really, really enjoy the Cowboy Bebop podcast on Opback. If you're oh. looking for another Opback hosted podcast, definitely check that one out. It's it's a lot of fun. Obviously, I'll, let, I'll let Steve know that too. He's in the same yeah. room as me, but he can't hear. <laughs> but he'll be very happy to hear that. That's great. Um, and uh, yeah, so go to optimismvaccine.com. Um, all of the podcasts are streaming on that website, and you can also find us on iTunes. If you download us, please write a review. Give us a lot of stars. And um, if you're even interested in seeing more of me, um, you can follow me with about 100 other people on Twitter. I am at Colmania. That's at K-O-H-L-M-A-N-I-A. Where can people find you on Twitter, Till? Um, Just at Till Knoll, so at T-I-L-K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks, everybody. See you.